The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Hi, we're the Messick family. I'm Katie. I'm Brian. And this is Rose. And this morning I will be reading from Jonah 2, verses 1 to 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. (laughs) Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. I'll be reading 2 Corinthians number uh, 1, 8 to 10. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability, beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Well, that was a refreshing scripture reading. Thank you, Brian and Katie and Rose, for your involvement in that. Amen. My name is Terry, and I'm one of the pastors here. So good to see more folks here. Man, I tell you, I uh, almost got a bit of a sore throat just from, uh, just from singing louder than, uh, than I've been doing because when I'm almost the only one in the room uh, during the last several months, I, uh, I find myself uh, not singing quite as loud. But anyway, it's just great to hear your voices. We'll get that feedback figured out in a second. Um... I just want to say before I begin the message, uh, man, this is a time, uh, middle to the end of August, it's like, what a time for many people in transitions, and if you're here or online and you're in transition and you're maybe checking out churches and you want to know more about White Ridge Baptist Church, uh, please call us, uh, let, let us get, a, get together, um, we, uh, we're looking forward to seeing ministry opening up, I know that this coming Wednesday, we have a really important staff meeting. We're going to be talking about ministry this fall. I know Sheila really wants to see children's ministry start ramping up. And uh, so all that stuff is going to be happening. I know Rudy's already got youth stuff going on. And so uh, uh, pray for us that God will give us wisdom to know how to uh, get things going. Well, I'd like to begin uh, my message. Oops, I'm giving, the, I'm giving it away here. Just a second. I wasn't supposed to show you that. And now I've busted it. I mean, I'm, okay. I would like to begin my message this morning by reading 
from what has been called the second, second best book in all the world and uh, the second best seller in all the world, I'm told as well. Uh, I'll give you a clue, which was already on the screen. It was written in 1672 by a poor, uneducated maker of pots and pans uh, who was serving a 12-year sentence in the Bedford Jail in England for preaching uh, during a religious gathering that was unsanctioned by the church at the time. Can anybody guess what I'm talking about? <laughs> right, I'm talking about John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, the interesting thing about this, I pulled out my copy, uh, old copy this week, and in the interesting, an interesting thing is in the first five pages, there's an apology of the book. Now, why would the author apologize for writing the book? Well, it's more of an explanation or a defense of why he felt it's so important that a, an allegory of the Christian life would be written, a religious allegory of the entire Christian life. If you've not read this book, boy, it's got something for you. And in the middle of that explanation or apology of the book, he, he writes this. He says, dark clouds bring waters when the bright bring none. Dark clouds bring waters when the bright bring none. Of course, he's talking about and referencing a spiritual reality, a spiritual truth that you know it and I know it. That, it, that we learn and we grow more during adversity and difficulty than in the brightest of seasons. And the prophet Jonah that we're looking at today, uh, he learned that as well. And this short book in the Bible that bears his name is our focus this morning and his prayer in chapter 2 that Brian and Katie read to us. And uh, unlike Pilgrim's Progress, um, the book of Jonah is not an allegory. Uh, we are going to be looking at a true account from the bestseller book of all time, the Bible in English, and not the second bestseller, Pilgrim's Progress. So uh, go with me, will you, into the book of Jonah and see what this historical account has to say. Now, some have tried to teach that the book of Jonah is indeed uh, uh, not uh, historical, that it's al allegory, uh, but Jesus himself in Matthew uh, chapter 12, uh, he says, he, he talks about the historicity of Jonah, and he, he writes in that scripture, for as Jonah was there day, three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's talking about his own death and burial and resurrection as a historical account. Jesus believed in the people called the Ninevites. Jesus believed that the message of Jonah, they repented of their sin and turned back to God, the very enemies of Israel. And so we're going to look at this together. And just before we get into the text in chapter 2, I just want you to know that this guy lived just miles from where Jesus grew up centuries later. He's, it's so interesting. He's three miles from Nazareth is where this area is that he grew up. And uh, he, the events of his life were, were, were taking place during the, the, the king of Jeroboam in the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, how uh, Assyria was just getting ready to come in and take the land. He was a contemporary of Hosea and Amos. And as far as we know, he's the only prophet that ever attempted to run from God. And so uh, he's an interesting character to study. Many fanciful interpretations have come out of Jonah. I, I like what St. Augustine said 
Uh, he said that he saw in, in Jonah the picture of Christ. The wooden ship was the cross, the wooden cross. And the belly of the fish was the tomb that Jesus was buried in. And the vomiting out onto dry land later was the resurrection. So I would now have found my resurrection text for this coming Easter. Vomiting Jonah out. I don't think I'll go there. But, but what a picture. In fact, some have even in the, in the Middle Ages, uh, in eastern parts of Europe, you can still find pulpits made out of uh, upright whales. <clears throat> and the idea is, the theology behind this, is that the pastor's calling is a resurrection vocation. And that every pastor should enter into the deep experience, into the belly of experience with God, of wrestling with the text of Scripture, and then coming out through the mouth into the pulpit where he is now going to proclaim the Word of God to the people that he's called to proclaim it to. And that's the picture of Jonah, who's now wrestled through with God in chapter 2, and he's going to come out, and now he's going to go to Nineveh and preach. I find this fascinating. In fact, I must say, I have to wrestle with the Scripture anytime I'm asked to stand up and preach the Word of God because if I haven't wrestled with it through, I don't have any right to stand in this place and share it with you. But unfortunately, friends, Jonah didn't do that. Jonah is an example of one who did not wrestle with the inner experience of the heart of God. And so instead of going to the people that God called him to go to, he went the other direction. And it was not until he was found in the belly of the whale that he began to experience the mercy of God. And then he began to obey God. But even when he began to obey God, we see that he still hasn't really experienced enough mercy of God to extend it to someone else. And if I were to say that in the nutshell, what is the real heart of the message of Jonah, it is that we as people who have received the mercy of God are so very reluctant to extend the mercy of God to someone else. Now, if you haven't thought that that belongs to you sometimes, you haven't reflected deeply enough about your own experience and about your own Christian life. Because I believe it does... It does describe all of us. And that's precisely the point of chapter 2 that we're going to look at. <clears throat> if we were to remove chapter 2 from the narrative of Jonah, <clears throat> we would lose the major irony of the story. This idea that in the belly of the whale, for sins of his own commission, deserving to be abandoned by God, he now receives a second chance, mercy. And yet when he arrives out on that beach and starts heading towards Nineveh, he's still not really ready to see God be merciful to his enemies. This is the irony, and this is the prayer that we find in chapter 2. Now I was very interested to look online, and you could Google this, and you could see so many different ways that Jonah is described, a prayer inside a whale. Here's one, Jonah, when you don't like God's plan. <clears throat> Here's one, Jonah, and the God of second chances. Or Jonah, the prodigal prophet. But we, where we land today is this. I'd like to share with you about Jonah crying out to God for deliverance. And somehow what I'm praying is that in the midst of our looking at 
his prayer thousands of years ago cried out to God, we're going to be able to identify how we <clears throat> cry out to God in our loneliness and in our places. You know, his prayer really is not unlike some of the Psalms. Psalm chapter 18, verse 6. <clears throat> Excuse me. Psalm chapter 18 was probably written about 200 years before Jonah wrote by David. David writes this. He says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and to my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and he heard my cry to him. It reached his ears. In Psalm 107, verse 6, talking about all of Israel, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So, so maybe you're at some point in your life where the distress is leading you to cry out to God for deliverance. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at, we're gonna look at um, four different ways that this prayer can be described. Four different points. Distress, discovery, deliverance, and determination. And so let's start with Jonah's prayer of distress. You know, in international ways, there's a distress signal or distress calls that are known, whether it's in aviation or nautical ways. Wherever it is, there's international distress calls. <clears throat> it could be a siren. It could be a flare. It could be a radio signal. In this case, it's a prayer. And let me go back to quote uh, Pilgrim's Progress once more. And in the middle of his book, John Bunyan writes this, he says, this hill, though high, I covet to ascend, the difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lives here. Come, pluck up, heart, let's neither faint nor fear. Better, though difficult, the right way to go than wrong, though easy, where the end is woe. <laughs> well, Jonah learned this lesson the hard way, that when he chose to go the wrong way, it ended up being harder on him in the end than if he had gone with God from the beginning. Maybe you've learned that lesson at some point in your life. And the distresses that we face because sometimes they're thrust upon us circumstantially. And then there are distresses that we face because they're self-imposed. And the wonderful thing about it is that in either case, whether a distress is upon us because it's circumstantially thrust upon us, or whether because we have somehow brought it on ourselves, God is merciful in both situations, as we will see. So the question I have for you before I move on is, what percentage of your stress or distress in your life do you think is circumstantially thrust upon you right now? And what percentage is your own doing? And after you've got a number of a percentage in your mind, whether it's 30, 70, or 60, 40, or whatever, <clears throat> I'd like you to turn to your spouse and ask them the same question about you. <laughs> or a good friend, maybe. You might find that they have a different answer about you than you do about you, perhaps. Well, there's an important word in the Scripture throughout the book of Jonah, because what we find out in Jonah is that the book is more about God than it is about Jonah or about us humans. We probably need to think that through every time we open up a book of the Bible. It's more about God than it is about us. But in this case, it's very clear through a little word that's called appointed or provided. 
It can be translated either way. And I'm just going to share with you a few of them. Um, <clears throat> God appointed or provided. Chapter 1, verse 17, God provided or appointed a great fish. Chapter 4, verse 6, as later on it finds, we, God appointed a vine. And then the next verse, God appointed a worm to eat the vine. And then it says, God appointed a scorching east wind. And we could probably add to the list, God uh, appointed a ship that was heading for Tarshish. Or God appointed a, a sailor crew that was merciful enough for a while. And God appointed a king in Nineveh at the very time that Jonah was going to preach that would actually respond to an enemy message and, re and humble himself before God. I mean, God appointed is what this book is mostly about. And so we must remember that as we read it through. And Jonah found out that for himself. He says in his prayer in chapter 2, verse 2, I called out to the Lord and out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you, O God, heard my voice. It's wonderful to know, as Jonah learned, that even though his sufferings were self-inflicted, God was ready to extend mercy. I wonder if you're calling out to God in your distress, whatever that looks like, however minor or major it might be, and are you looking for his answer to your calling out to him? So that's the first thing, is that it, it, the, call, the call of God on Jonah's life and the calling back in the distress. The next one is discovery. <clears throat> in verse 3 we read this. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I again look upon your holy temple. What I want to say in this point is this, that there is no distress that God sends or allows into our lives which is not meant also to be accompanied by an incredible discovery of some nature in your life. There is no, there's no distress that God permits to come into your life which is not meant to be accompanied by a discovery of something. God is always at work. He is never silent. He is speaking. He is wanting to convey a message to you. There's a discovery for you in the midst of whatever you're going through right now or whatever you have just gone through and are still reflecting on. There's something. And so from the distress of calling out to God, Jonah entered a season of discovery while he was in the belly of the fish. Now he knew that it was a bunch of sailors that picked him up and hurled him into the sea in chapter 1, verse 15. But what does he say in this verse? He says, you're the one, O God, that hurled me into the sea. You cast me into the deep. They, Jonah could see that they were just doing God's bidding. Are you conscious that in the middle of your suffering, God is trying to teach you something? Very important point to come to in any trial, any suffering, to see that through a season of adversity, a transition, a testing, a period of uncertainty, relational conflict, have you done enough reflecting and praying to see that God might have something for you? to discover. Discover about him, discover about yourself. 
Now I want to take a moment here and usher a word of caution into the room. Because it's far too easy to advise someone else on what they need to be discovering. (laughs) It's far too easy in watching someone else go through adversity to speak into that and say, do you think God might be teaching you this lesson? (laughs) I was speaking with uh, a man in our church and we were discussing husbandry things. And we were identifying this tendency for us husbands to be expedient and to want to fix and to want to suggest maybe this is what the answer is. And we are surprised at the bewildered, in fact, and shocked at how, uh, how unresponsive our wives were to our suggestions. <laughs> I think I've got some identifying people here. No, indeed, you'll notice that when Jonah is in this season of discovery, where is he? He's alone in the belly of a whale. And, you know, you you can't really tell someone else what they're meant to learn down here in the belly. You can tell them lessons and thoughts and ideas, but every one of us has to learn from God directly the points of discovery that he has for us. And so... Let's move on. Testimony of Jonah is probably unique in some ways because he actually knows that he's the problem. Too many people are not giving the testimony of Jonah because Jonah knew that he was the problem and he asked the sailors to cast him into the sea. Many folks want to blame everyone else around them. If my wife was just this or if my husband was just this, if my boss was just this, and so on. And they play the victim But Jonah saw God's hand. He came to a point of discovery. And that's really important. That's where true faith goes. True faith goes to the lessons that God wants to teach in the midst of the adversity that God leads or allows. It sees the severity of God's discipline, but it also sees the incredible severity of his mercy and of his love. Jonah knew that God had cast him into the sea, but Jonah also knew that his life was not over yet, that God had a purpose He was the God of second chances. So what is God teaching you? Whether it's self-imposed or circumstantial, what is it that God has you learning? Thirdly, I want to move on to talk about deliverance, experiencing mercy from God. Before we go into this, I want you to show that that, that the author has a pattern. There's so much in this entire little book. It's, It's a Hebrew poetry book, really. It's so much in here that misses the English eye. But one thing I want to point out is that there is this downward slide until he hits the bottom and starts to come out. And I want to demonstrate that just briefly. In chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jonah went down to Joppa. It says in the same verse that he went down into the ship. It says in the same, the next two verses later, he went down below the deck. He went down on the floor and laid down to go to sleep. He went into a deep sleep, it says. Threw him overboard and and, and he went down to the depths of the sea. And then God provided a fish and he swallowed him up and he went down the throat into the belly of the fish. Do you see the downward slide that we're on? And then down into this watery grave in chapter 2, verse 2, Jonah says, to the depths of the grave. 
I called. You hurled me into the deep, verse 3. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, verse 6. Can you imagine the mountains that are around any body of water? And they have roots. They just keep on going right down to the bottom. That's where Jonah found himself. But the author is clearly wanting us to understand this guy's going down, 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 down. And then finally, finally we get to the point. And it says, at the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars is closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So he goes down until finally there's this point where God brings him up. Why is that so important to the author, to Jonah, to describe of his experience? Well, it's because it seems like God has to take us sometimes down before he's going to build us back up. And we know that from our experience. We see the words of resolve and determination in, in this man. Uh, we see God calling him out of this downward journey and up. And I love that verse 6 is the best verse in the, in the prayer, but you brought up my life from the pit. And I hope you as as a Christian, as a follower of God, as a seeker of God, you, I, think, I hope you have a sense of your Heavenly Father that is pursuing you in those depths, wanting to bring you up. If anything, we know that when we look at the cross of Jesus, we see God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet down, sinners, enemies, weak, Christ died for us. We know this from the gospel itself. And so if you're listening to this message today and you've wandered, you've drifted away from God, you don't sense that closeness, recognize he's still pursuing you, he loves you, he's going to bring you up. There's a a point when there's no more down and God's going to turn it around and bring you up. And if you have any sense of the love of God and faith in that love that he has for you, would you turn it into a prayer? Today, would you turn it into a prayer just like Jonah did? You know, I'm sure many of you, when I mention the, the name Corey Tenboom, it rings a bell. She was a woman whose family was hiding the Jews in Amsterdam during the Second World War. And uh, she was discovered, her family was discovered. They were sent to Ravensbrück, the Nazi concentration camp. She saw her sister die there brutally. After the war, she did much speaking around and shared the love of God. And it is her sister, I believe, that she quotes when she says these words. Um, Sorry. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And I remember it this way. I remember it being said this way. There is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. And I, I, I can only say that if you know God the way that we're called to know God, you know this is true. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. And my prayer would be that if you feel the tug of God's love on your heart today by the Spirit of God, would you just turn it into a prayer and look up to him? I want to move on to the final point of what I see in this poem, in this prayer, in verses 7 to 9. 
we see a determined man in the belly of the fish ready now to turn his life back to God. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into that holy temple. This is our prayer for anyone today, listening and watching here, present. Our prayer is that if you feel life slipping away, if you feel life fading away, the joy and the fullness of life is slipping away from you. The meaning of life is slipping away. Our prayer is that you might remember, as Jonah did, the Lord at your lowest point and that there will be enough faith to just turn it into a prayer and say, I'm gonna trust you, God. We see words of resolve and determination. He's determined to return to God and to God's will. Verse nine, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you and what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord, he says. And then immediately we go into verse 10, and the Lord said, spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. There it is. It's, it's like this discovery led to a determination, a repentance, a turning from the way that he'd been erring on, and immediately God said, okay, fish, <laughs> We're done our, our job. And it says he vomited Jonah out onto dry land. You know, sometimes the deliverance, the deliverance, is a, here's an old Greek uh, picture of how they envisioned it in the Middle Ages. I love these pictures. Here's another one. A painting of Jonah being vomited out onto dry land. Sometimes deliverance isn't pretty. Sometimes the end of our distress is not rosy and nice. But it doesn't matter because if you've sensed God's salvation, it, it, it's okay if it's humbling. You know, the only verse that I haven't commented on so far is verse 8. And it says this, that those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I love that verse, especially in the New International Version the word for idols is actually the idea of snares. Those who cling to worthless snares forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I wonder if Jonah was thinking in the belly of the whale how much he had just forfeited, how hard he had made his life because of his own choosing. I think sometimes about how much grace I have forfeited in my years because I've just been slow to follow God or obey God. And as we come out of this COVID season, I wonder if it's a good reminder for us to think of this verse, to, to ponder that God willing, as we turn the page and get out of the COVID pandemic and return to more relationship, are there mid-course corrections that God wants us to have? Are there mid-course corrections that God wants us to have? And and we're determined to forfeit no more grace. You know, the story of Jonah in our Bibles is a, a very condensed version. In fact, we, we really don't get a sense of this, the, the geography. And uh, we see clearly that Jonah was called to go in, in the direction that didn't need a ship. He was going to walk to Nineveh, take a camel or do something else. It was all by land, almost 500 miles. It was going to take a while so when that whale vomited Jonah out onto the beach on the Mediterranean, uh, it was going to be a while. Maybe he's going to be walking for 30 days. A lot of time to think. A lot of time to reflect. 
That's why I, I apply it to the COVID season of a year and a half. And now as we come out of it, what has God been teaching us? Is there something that you're meant to not go back to normal to? And uh, what is it? That, so Jonah had time. He had time to think. I, I imagine as he's going, he's still wondering, why would God send me to the Israelite enemy, the Syrians? God, do you know what they did to us? It's an incredible story, really. We can only imagine the wrestling. When you are behaving on a course outwardly that your heart is not given to inwardly, you're going to be a wretched person. Jonah is a wretched person still in chapter 3 after his deliverance. This kind of defies the, the nice hallmark ending to the whole thing. You see, when, when your heart inwardly is, is incongruent with outwardly what you're doing out of sheer obedience, there's still a wretched state that you're in. God does not just want you to be a robot. God wants you to embrace his heart for his will for your life. God wanted Jonah to have the mercy of God on his heart. And we see in chapters 3 and 4 that he, he still was a double-minded man, unstable in all he did. But God was not done with Jonah. Not done with us either. Incredibly, God can strike a mighty blow with a crooked stick because he went in there and he preached and the whole city converted. And Jonah's still angry about it all. God can use your life even when you're in the midst of a, a heart renovation, but you're outwardly saying, okay, I'm going to obey you, God. That's okay, but you're not done. You still want to bring your heart into congruity with, with God's will and heart. He wants you to have the heart of God. I love, I love this poem that a guy named Thomas Carlyle wrote. He said, Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonah's to come around to his way of loving. I had someone share with me this past week uh, some extra research on Jonah that they had done. And I liked what she said. There's, she said that there's indeed reason to believe that Jonah stayed in Nineveh after they had converted, after the end of chapter 4 closes that Jonah stayed in Nineveh and he taught the Ninevites how to worship the true and living God instead of the false gods they had worshipped. And that perhaps, many people think that perhaps he wrote the book of Jonah and he sent it back to Israel because he wanted to tell them, my work's not done here. In fact, why does he end the entire prophecy in Jonah chapter 4, the last verse of chapter 4, verse 11, why does he end the way he does? Should I not pity Nineveh, this great city, with more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? Jonah's just saying, Israelites, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't come to the enemy. God sent me here. Should I not pity them? They're lost. And Jonah's now, I think, ending well. He's got the heart of God upon him. And so that's, I think, where we end is uh, with Jonah getting to know the heart of God. That's the big lesson in Jonah. 
is that God, God has got to work with us first before he's going to work out there in the world. God's got to fashion us into the image-bearing Christians that we're meant to be before we're going to be used much by God out there. Well, let's pray together. And Father, our God, we thank you for Jonah and this scripture. Lord, um, we bring our prayer to you. There's people here in this room or in online that are in, in distress. They're going through stressors and distressors of life that are hard to walk through. Some of it might be self-imposed and some of it might be circumstantial. Father, today I just want to lift them up. I just want to ask you, would you meet them? Would you take, would you take them through a season of discovery and a recognition of your salvation? And uh, bring them through the other side and enabled to reflect back on what you've been teaching them. Help us, Lord, to know how to walk with each other when we go through these kinds of seasons. And teach us, O oh Lord. We thank you for the privilege of praying to you. Bless, Lord, uh, this, your people, and thank you so much for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, our Father. You know every person that's here. You know every person that's tuning in online. You know every heart and you know every circumstance that we're in. You know those who feel like they're drowning. You know those who are in a difficult situation. Help us, Lord. Please show us how you want us to approach you with this, whatever it is. Please show us what the prayer to you should be and help us to trust you for that. And Lord, we pray that as we approach you, that you would work in our circumstances as you see fit in your way, recognizing that there's not a cookie-cutter solution, that everything is different. And each person, you want to grow in a particular way as you've promised to complete what you've started in each one of us. Help us to trust you for that. And Lord, I pray that you would, in your mercy and in your time and in your grace, bring us around from our way of thinking to your way of loving Help us to trust you for that. Please bless each one of us as we go into our day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.